Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Janice Hallett. Very excited about this week's episode. She's had so much success over the last year or so. Uh, Her debut, you might have seen it, read it, heard about it. It's called The Appeal. It was one of the Sunday Times crime novels of 2021. And she's just published her newest one called The Twyford Code. Now, we talk about whether success has changed the way that she writes, such uh, kind, of, kind of sudden success, really, in her first book. Also, you can hear how writing TV scripts gave her a unique way of structuring novels and why she left the murder part of the murder mystery quite late on. It's a mystery who, who is going to die as, as well as, you know, who did it. So, uh, yeah, that ha- happens quite late. I think that's probably my lack of experience writing murder mysteries. Um, the fact I was enjoying these characters so much and I hope the, the readers enjoy them and they enjoy getting to know them before that murder happens so they have, they're almost more informed as to who might have done it. So there's all that on the way and lots more besides with Janice Hallett in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. It's Writer's Routine where we take a look inside the working day, life and space of some of the best authors around. My name's Dan Simpson. Thank you for being there. Thank you for finding and streaming and subscribing and following. Uh, I'm very excited about this week. Uh, Janice Hallett is a former magazine editor, an award-winning journalist. She's written speeches for the Home Office, among many others. Uh, she's written the feature film Retreat that was out uh, 10 or so years ago. It stars Killian Murphy of Peaky Blinders, uh, Tandy Newton and Jamie Bell. Sorry for the accent, Killian. Uh, I was on holiday and I'd been recommended The Appeal and I had no clue about anything to do with it at all, really. I mean, I'd, I'd seen it been shared online around book communities and book talk and, and knew that it was blow. Well, it had blown up, really. I picked up a copy of it on the Kindle and uh, instantly, a few pages in, knew that something was different. The whole thing plays out by email. Different emails shared between members of a very close-knit Amdram group, a a small village community. You see the the structure of that community, how things play out, the hierarchy, who's high, who's low, who do people want to be, who do people like, who do people hate. You see that all through emails. And it's the tiny nuances in the way that they're written, the way that they're addressed and and signed off that, that tells this story. And I devoured it, which is very unusual for me. I, I I don't read that quickly at all. I just have to read quite a lot. Uh, I, I read it all, sat in the Tenerifean sun by a pool. And I mean, it's over 400 pages long. So that's some going for me. And then my, uh, my fiance did the same the next day. Uh, so I really wanted to chat to Janice. I broke my social media embargo <laughs> for the week and just tweeted how much I loved the book and you know, barely 10 days later, we were chatting about it. We talk about why she set it like that. Why set a story completely through emails? Also, how her screenwriting career really helped out with it. You could also hear when she knew this book was taking off, which was the moment that made her think, oh, okay, maybe this is going somewhere. We also chat about how much of a murder mystery is reverse engineered and how she found out who the guilty party was. 
We talk about her new book, The Twyford Code, which is another mystery told out through a very unique storytelling device. Uh, It's a fantastic chat. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll pick up quite a lot of tips and advice along the way from it. Uh, And maybe, if you've not, give a read to The Appeal. It's a really novel way of telling a novel. And we start, as we always do, with Janice Hallett and what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I see in front of me my desktop Mac, which is now um, nine years old, so it's quite an old one, but it's... Yeah, it reflects my personality. It's it kind of it's my work colleague without sounding too sad. Um, <laughs> on my desk um, is um, an old scanner because I occasionally need to scan documents, and that's used as a shelf. And that's got notebooks. It's got some chocolate. It's got my phone. It's got um, a book. Um, it's got Amanda Montel, The Language of Fanaticism, Cultish is the title of that. I've got my coffee cup. I must have 40 pens here. I've got glue. I've got old batteries waiting to be recycled. I've got scissors, some post-it notes, um, another notebook, my diary. And um, that's about it. Oh, a glass of water. It's busy. You've got a busy space there. There's a lot going on. What about around you, Janice? So that's slightly practical. Uh, Mm -hmm. What is there maybe on the walls that perhaps might be inspirational and might might help you out and with creativity? My walls are lined with bookshelves, so I have a whole towering stack of bookshelves behind me. It's like they're looking over my shoulder as I write. So I've got all the classics up there, and it's like Dickens and the Brontes and Thomas Hardy are looking over my shoulder and keeping an eye on me. So that's quite nice. On the floor, I have I've got books coming up from the floor, and these are new books waiting to be read. So there's old books looking down, new books coming up. Um, I've got luggage here waiting for where, next time I travel. Um, what else? I've got a photograph of my three friends, me and my three friends at a party a few years ago. That's very nice. I like looking at that. Uh, photograph albums from the past. Uh, what else? Christmas decorations. Oh, I didn't realise they were still there. They should go up in the loft. <laughs> that's, so that's something I need to do. <laughs> well, to be honest, you might as well leave them up now. We're all halfway so. through. <laughs> True. Um, what, what about, uh, have you got a window? Can you see anything kind of vaguely wild out there? I have got a window. It looks out onto my back garden and the back gardens of the other houses in this block. There's an old tree, half of which fell down during Storm Eunice, and the other half is still up. And the half that fell down is kind of in my garden, which I can see. It's kind of died off and it's now just lying in the garden. I can see the mast of the radio station, the old wireless station that towers over this area of London. Uh, it's disused at the moment. It was a, an old wartime radio station because I quite like looking at that. It's quite a link to the past there. Now we get quite niche and nerdy, I would say. Mm. Um, uh, what are you writing on and what do you write like what software do you write with and what font do you use (laughs) oh goodness let's have a look i write um i use an apple mac i use microsoft word for writing novels um what is the font let me just check i think it's calibri let me have a look let me final check of that i say it's quite an old mac so it takes a while to open a document (laughs) yes it's calibri it's calibri after all that (laughs) Well, his your books are formatted in a very specific way. So I'll focus on on the appeal, in, and it's mostly all set through emails. There are a few messages and a few kind of transcripts in there, but it, it's all about the the structure of of the way it looks. How much do you think about that when you are writing at least your first draft? When I wrote the appeal, I didn't think much at all about it. I just set off and wrote because I'd I was hot off my career as a screenwriter in which case I'd been working on Final Draft that software I don't know whether you're familiar with that but some of your listeners will definitely be familiar and I was used to writing people talking largely and I think this subconsciously transferred itself to my first novel and suddenly we've got people talking to each other uh, without realizing that we're listening in so I think that's that's where that structure came from now since then I have been a bit more aware of it because it was you know as soon as the 
appeal appeared, I realised how unusual it was and that there aren't many novels written like this. So I've been a bit more aware of it since and The Twyford Code is slightly different. For my third novel, which I've been working on most recently, that's back to, to a slightly more similar format to The Appeal. So it's multiple characters talking to each other. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think a lot about the format. I try not to overthink when I'm writing. I try to let the creativity flow. Now we'll come to the way you plan your day and then the way you plan your stories in a second. I'm just I'm really, really interested in like how you feel right now. I say that because you're, you know, I had about, like I had a good handful of people who recommended The Appeal to me. And, uh, you know, it was a Sunday Times crime novel of the year. And it's it seems to have really picked up pace recently. Like it, it's being shared all around online. And like this is pretty much your debut novel. How do you feel to have had this like burst of success right now with a very specific way you've written a crime novel. Um, how are you feeling about that? Right at this moment, I'm on top of the world. I could never have hoped to be in this situation ever. And although I've been aiming to be a successful writer my whole career, I never realised I'd be this successful. And it's just fabulous. It's amazing. And I'm so grateful. Um, you know, I'm happy. I'm thinking if it doesn't last, that's fine because I've had this, I've experienced this particular moment in a career that a lot of writers never get to experience. And I, I feel brilliant. <laughs> At what point did you realise, oh, hang on, this might be, this might be something here. Maybe this is like capturing a, a, attention in a way that I had never imagined it to do. I liked it while I was writing it. I really enjoyed writing it and I felt that it it was good and that I had something. But that's, you know, there's no guarantee that other people are going to spot it or because I spent my whole career up to them writing scripts that I loved and nobody else did. Um, so I, I had no expectation that anyone else would feel the way I did about the appeal. So when it came out, which and it came out in the middle of lockdown and gradually the sort of momentum built because nobody could go out and buy books. It, it was word of mouth. It was people talking about it online. As gradually that built up, I realised that, yeah, other people do get it. And when I'd read a, a review by someone who really got it or a tweet by someone who really picked up on something that I felt about the the novel, but it wasn't something that everybody picked up on, when I saw someone pick up on it, that was just such um, a moment that other people were getting it that I could do this and um, it's a wonderful moment of realisation. Has there been one moment within the last year that's really made you uh, kind of sit up and, and take hold and, and understand how different your life maybe is now to how you thought it might be? Yes there was um, a moment when a, a young woman who'd um, read the appeal uh, she said oh I read the appeal and I loved it so much. I've now decided to pursue a career in law. And I thought, oh, that's, that's wonderful. And she said, no, really, this has led me to go down that route for my career. And I thought, well, that's just incredible, you know, to have that influence on people, to have that positive effect on other people's lives, strangers' lives. Um, well, I, I can't believe it still. I don't even know how I feel about that. That's so good. And you mentioned your writing your third book now and this will be the one that you're writing with full knowledge of the success that you've had um and there might now be expectation how uh, how much pressure has that put on you and and how much has that changed perhaps the way you're viewing the third novel that you're working on well i've been quite aware of it because yeah quite rightly as you say i wrote the appeal and then the twyford code um before any Either of them had appeared, of course. I mean, the appeal uh, was in the process of being published, so I knew it would come out when I wrote Twyford, but it hadn't come out, so I couldn't get my head around what people would think of my writing. But, yeah, the minute I started this one, I thought, well, wow, um, what will people who read the appeal think of this? You know, will they like it as much? Will they, you know, all these thoughts creep into your mind. But I have to say, when I start writing, I'm quite good at, at dropping that 
those stresses away. It's like a, a big cloak falls off me when I start writing and suddenly I can concentrate and focus on that particular work. Because um, I think you have to be realistic. You have to think, well, not everyone's going to like all of your books. One of the first reviews of Twyford that I read um, said, oh, this isn't as good as The Appeal. And it's almost that, that breaks the curse because someone said it and it's fine. Now, other people still like it. Other people would like it better than The Appeal. Um, so you you have to kind of let go of some of that stress. But I can't say that I don't feel that expectation because I do. And we mentioned that the the appeal uh, was told out through a series of uh, emails and messages, and the Twyford code is is sent through through correspondence quite a lot of the time, and, and someone's diary entries and thoughts. And you, you mentioned that with your third novel, you're you're reverting back to the way that the appeal was done, <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly, slightly more. Um, yeah, the uh, the mysterious case of the Alperton Angels um, is about two. Um, true crime authors who are locked in a head-to-head battle to find um, an elusive interviewee who was part of um, an historical crime that happened 18 years previously. Uh, They were a baby when it happened and now they're 18 so they can be interviewed as an adult and these two writers are um, determined that they will get the story on this. Um, So that's what it is. But what we're reading is um, the research material for one of the books that was published. So we're not reading the book itself. Now, how are you feeling about maybe having... Uh, like, It's hard to structure this question. Like, having to carry on with these innovative ways of structuring a story. Maybe in a few books' time, will you be like, oh, no, I need to, I need to figure out another way. That it can't just be a standard linear narrative. How are you feeling about this, this constant churn of reinvention that people might expect from you? I don't really think of it like that. I've got lots of ideas. I've got so many ideas that I try to get out there as scripts often with, with a lot of these ideas, and I couldn't do it. But they're still there. They're still burning away. So I'm rethinking them as novels. And it happens that these three are unusually structured or I'm coming at the idea from the point of view of hearing people talk. Now, I've got some ideas I've been thinking of, how can I approach this? And some don't work that way. So I know that, you know, hopefully my career will continue. When I get to those ideas, I will be looking at a somewhat more straightforward narrative or a more conventional narrative to tell that story and part of me um, knows that would be quite different for me as a writer to be working um, in that format but it's quite exciting as well because something's something new is exciting uh, so I'm looking forward to it as well but um, I would like to say that not all of them will necessarily be um, unusually structured. What comes first? Is it the idea that you have for the plot so you you were saying just a second ago about the um about about your 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 third novel that, that that's out uh well that's that's coming out in the future um uh, about two true crime authors and you're you're reading their research so what comes first is it is it the idea of these two crime authors going head to head or is it Oh, hang on. How interesting would it be to set a novel that we read only through research? What is is it the plot or the structure? I can tell you exactly what came first with with the um, the third book. It was um, the historical crime that they're looking at, which is a uh, of a a cult that that um, you know was imploded basically eighteen years ago, and that um, had been an idea I'd written up as a script, but I hadn't written it in the same way the novel um, is, I'd written it as um, a story told from one of the cult members' points of view um, in this script. It was a film script at the time, and I wrote it in around 2011. And I came back to it because it still played on my mind that this, this was a great um, idea. I just love this character and the, well, the group of characters that made up this cult. And I, I did want to do something with them. But when I read it, I thought, well, this does – sound like it happened a long time ago. It sounds like a historical event. I thought, oh, hold on, what if it did happen a long time ago? And what if that baby in this story had grown up? What then? 
what would happen? And I thought, well, yeah, because people writing about this crime would want to speak to it. It would want, it would be interviewed on telly, you know, that, the, you know, and that's how it, that's how the idea came about. It's very difficult to say when and where ideas happen because they kind of jump into your head. Um, that, that's, that, that's where it came from though. It did come from an, it's almost a historical script rather than historical crime, but that's, that's how it worked. I get up, um, or I wake up, the alarm goes off 6.40 every morning and I immediately go swimming. I get up and I go to the pool. I do um, between 30 and 50 lengths, depending on various factors, how energetic I'm feeling. Then I come home, I have, um, I have a glass of lemon in water and then I start work. I start writing. And by this time, it's around 8.15 to 8.30. And I'll write very, very intensely and intensively until around 12.30, 1 o'clock. And that's my main writing time of the day, those few hours. And I can really focus. And in fact, sometimes I focus so um, intensely in that time, I, I come out of it and I think, oh, who are who am I? What's my name? Where do I live? Uh, what day is it? What year is it? Uh, it's really intense. After that, I have lunch. So there's about between 12.30 and 1. And then I slack off a bit for the afternoon. I'll chill out. I'll um, read letters. I'll read emails. I'll, I'll you know, drift around on social media. Uh, and then perhaps later, between 2, 3, 4, I'll go back and I might reread what I wrote in the morning, see how it sounds do a few um, tweaks to it. I'll also answer emails and do other bits and bobs that you find that you have to do. And by the time it gets to around four, I'm coming into a sort of second wind uh, for writing. So if I need to, I will do a bit more writing between four and seven. And that's if I'm on a deadline or if I'm particularly um, inspired to write on my current work in progress. Now, other, if I don't, if I'm not inspired, um, I will slack off. I will have my my dinner. I'll watch quizzes because my um, other half, Gary, is a big quiz fan. And the quizzes are always on, so we'll try and answer some of the questions. Um, as the evening goes on, I watch telly. I love true crime documentaries, um, anything about murder, anything about uh, violence, I'll watch anything about psychology as well, very interesting. Um, I don't watch a whole lot of reality TV, as you can probably tell. Um, and then about 10 o'clock, I'll go to bed and I'll read. I'll read my current book in progress um, when I go to bed, the, the book that I'm reading. Now, writing crime, I always think it must be quite consuming because you've got so, so many different threads on the go in your evening time when you are you know watching true crime and watching crime some of the time how good are you at switching off from your story i don't think i ever really switch off but that's not uh, a bad thing i think i'm very engaged with the process and, and as a, a person i naturally look at people and wonder what led them to that point in their life and particularly people who have gone down uh, an awful route have you know become murderers become abusers become um you know coercive individuals what has led them to be that way i'm very interested in that and so that's i mean i'm so engaged with it i enjoy it so much it's not really a chore to do um yeah it's just it's my life i suppose uh do you tend to work five days a week maybe more Seven. Wow, really? Yeah, seven. To every every morning I'll get up and write, um, unless I have somewhere to go in the morning, which obviously I won't. Um, but yeah, Saturday and Sunday, yeah. Wow. So what constitutes a good writing day for you? Is, is there an aim for what you want to get done that day, maybe across the whole week? I don't have a word count. I know a lot of writers have word counts that they like to stick to. I don't have a word count, but I have to say, if I write less than 500 to 800 words, I don't feel so good about that day. If I write a thousand or more, I feel really good about that day. And sometimes it can be the quality of what I've written or the fact I've thought up a, a new twist or I've thought up, I've thought my way out of a problem that I had with, with the story. And now I've got, even if I've only written a hundred words, I've come up with that particular 
thing and that's made the day worthwhile oh, um, yeah. that's, that's really interesting I, I tell you why i would say um like 800 ish is I, i've spoken to many many authors doing this and um i if i if i'm being honest like 800 seems quite a like it it seems quite a low target if i may say so it which, is low um, which, well. which, which is which is absolutely fine because it's really <laughs> working for you um I, the, the question i'm asking with that is uh, how good do those words need to be how much are you trying to get this perfect first time around no not at all um i will write my first draft as a, as a rule is written and it's i don't pay a whole lot of attention to how perfect it is it will be rewritten and i'll be tweaking and twiddling it for the whole time right up until publication really um so no it's getting words down and getting the story and getting the characters down and getting them moving and doing things and getting things wrong and getting that story down is is the priority with that first draft at the start of a day when you've come back from swimming you sat there quarter past half past eight how do you know what you're working on for, for the next four or so hours I'll I'll know I'll have decided that and usually that's dictated by the deadlines um, and what what I have to be writing which is usually my next novel or it might be um, the pilot script of uh, a novel I've I've written the pilot for the appeal so it could be it could be anything but I'll know and it it's kind of I, I know what I need to work on next because I know how fast I work how long I need to write something and. Um, how long it would take me. I have to say that second wind I get um, in the afternoon, sometimes I work on something different there. So if I am working on two things, um, they can complement each other because the, later on in the day I'll work on something different. Uh, so for me, it's not too much of a problem working on two things. Three things can become crowded, uh, but again, it can be done. With a novel at the start of the day, have you got any idea... Um... Where, where where your characters will take you within the next few hours? Do you think right? Okay, I think we need to be we need to be at this point when I when I stop typing today. Have you got any? Uh, uh, have you got any grand plan over what's directly happening next? Sometimes, but certainly not always. I mean, I like to with the first draft anyway. Let my characters go where they're going. But yes, yeah, sometimes it, it will happen that I'll know where they're going and what they might be doing. So I'll have a a kind of pre-warning, if not what I'm going to be writing about. But then other times, nothing at all. I won't have a clue where I'm going when I sit down and I just have to write. I think just putting words on paper is so stimulating. I hope that that will get me there. And it's touch wood. It doesn't often let me down. On days when it's not really working for you, when, when the words are, are getting closer to 500 than over 1,000, <laughs> Uh, what 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 do you do to try and like unclog the block? A, a cup of tea, maybe more lemon water, <laughs> maybe a certain a piece of music. Yeah, I listen to music. I surf the internet. I go on social media. I stimulate myself. I think that's the real um, play, play. It's almost playing mind games to stimulate myself to think and to feel things. Music, I, I would say, is number one. Uh, playing music to change my mood to get my mood, get me thinking, um, oh, anything and everything. I've got such a wide um, you know, playlist, everything from novelty records from the 70s to, you know, hip hop to R&B to, you know, rock, you name it. I've got, I've got it on there somewhere and I can use them, use music to just generate more energy and creative energy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now we're back with more from Janice in just a sec. Very quickly popping up uh, to, to say if you're enjoying the show, if you like what we do, if you've learned anything along the way and anything in the past 221 episodes now that has helped the way that you write, it's changed the way that you tell stories, you can always help us out and support the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a couple of dollars a month really helps us carry on. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. Now for that, for your contribution, uh, you get our eternal thanks you get merch, there is bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor the show, and it honestly does not require a lot. Just uh, a small token every month to say that you enjoy what we do. A couple of dollars doesn't have to be anything more. I really appreciate everything we get, especially today. A little goes an extraordinarily long way. So I'm really thankful if you've got involved so far, even if you're thinking about it. Uh, I'd love to see you on there. It's patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Let's get back to it then, chatting to Janice Hallett about her writing life, particularly her phenomenally successful debut, The Appeal. We talk about why the best tip she learned while writing is that by doing it once, by finishing a book, you've got that confidence to know you can go again. Also, you can hear how her characters tend to mirror different parts of her personality, who she wants to be and who she fears that she might be. And we pick things up talking about the appeal and how that very first idea came to her. The gestation of the appeal idea started when I was still scriptwriting. So uh, I had a very long and unsuccessful career as a TV scriptwriter. I'd had a, a film made uh, which I'd co-written with its director that was released in 2011 so when you think my first novel wasn't published until 2021 um, there's 10 years there where I was trying to get into tv now that entailed writing at least one spec script every year and, and more if you could probably possibly get there I also wrote plays during that time short and Full length. Um, so I was generating ideas really for stage and screen. And I'd had this idea about uh, a couple who'd been volunteering in war zones overseas. Uh, they come back home, they're forced to come back to England, and their experiences that they've had inform their view of a local fundraising campaign. It, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't even a murder mystery at that point. It was uh, more uh, Dr. Foster, domestic noir, um, you know, the personal investigation, not necessarily anyone being killed or dying. Um, it was that kind of idea, but I'd not really written anything down. I'd not committed it to paper. I'd just been thinking and researching um, people who do volunteer overseas and how it changes them. So that was all I'd been been thinking of. And then I I took part in a scheme that I called the Triforce, um, with the Triforce Creative Network, who are a, um, a TV um well, the production company, really, and they, they ran schemes at the time. And this one was for um, underrepresented screenwriters, now being a woman, being much older than average. And although I tried to sound posh, being working class, I, I qualified for this scheme. And um, on it, I, I was given a mentor, and that was Cameron Roach, who at the time was assistant head of drama at Sky. And I had a few meetings with him. And I said my, you know, my great 
frustration is I can't get these ideas out. I'm having them, writing the script for them. I'm loving the script. My agent loves the script. And they don't go anywhere. I have to then write another script that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, And he suggested writing a novel, turning one of them into a novel, and that would generate interest uh, in it. And I could then perhaps write the script of it. That was his suggestion. So at first I, I, I thought, well, that sounds like he's telling me to give up screenwriting. Um, so uh, I didn't consider it uh, at first, but it wasn't long before I did start considering it and it was playing on my mind. I thought that's not a bad idea because they say the definition of insanity is that you keep doing the same thing time and again and you expect the same result. And you expect a different result, but you get the same result. And that's really what I'd been doing. I'd been just writing script after script. So I thought, right, that's that's it. I'm going to take that suggestion. I'm not asking someone's advice and ignoring them. I'm going to do it. And that's when I shut down my final draft, opened up Word, wrote the appeal, and I wrote the date at the top of the page. And that's um, one of the first dates that appears. It's 27th of February, um, 2018. And that's when I started at that letter, um, that was a letter of reference um, about Sam, one of her the people that she'd worked with um, in Africa when she'd volunteered there, writes her a, a letter of reference for the UK. And that's the first thing I wrote. Uh, so that was how that came about, that whole idea. So you have the idea that you want it to be about these two volunteers from a very impoverished war zone, war zone who are coming back and uh, you know, it's, it's their judgments on a, a, a very closed in um, uh, hierarchical uh, fundraiser and, and kind of village. How does that become a, a novel that's played out uh, through a series of emails that ends up in a, in, a, in a murder? Like, what's the what's the what's the genesis? Because and you said that you're you're really not much of a plotter, so you're sat in there and you're just typing away. I, I'm just trying to like work out the, the how how one is fed to the other. Well, how I thought of it was, I thought, well, this um, drama is happening on the, on the screen between these characters, and the book therefore can be the emails and texts fly in between the minor characters backstage. And that was only a vague idea and a a vague way to frame it. Um, And I I must say, I didn't think too much about it beyond that. I enjoyed um, writing from these characters' point of view. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, And that was was all I I thought of it, really. It's just amazing that you've not said it like like anyone else would as a like a, 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 you know, an overview through a third person novel. I know it's weird, isn't it? I, I, I don't know. I think it's just a happenstance and I, I just feel very lucky that it worked. I find it amazing because I think with just exchanging emails and letters between different like people who are involved in this thing, you need a much, I, I would have thought you would need quite a, a wide view of what's going on, but yet you didn't really have that. Uh, a wide view of um, oh, you mean the plot? Yeah, the plot on the characters. So, yeah, if if you're writing to, from character A to character B, but you know it references character F, and they need to be doing something. Like, how are you? How are you keeping track? And and what do you know about what this whole thing will become? Well, I spe- while I was writing, I didn't know. When I got to the end, I had a much better idea. So there was quite a bit of um, chess playing. Once I got to the end of that first draft pulling things out and about um, masking some things from the reader, um, revealing certain things to the reader at certain times. I paid a lot of attention to how the characters speak to each other and how they, how one character says hello and goodbye to another character will differ greatly from how they greet and say farewell to another character because they feel quite differently about them. So I paid an awful lot of attention to that, to the tone of each character when they were speaking to each of the other characters. And it was quite a job. I think at the um, structural edit stage, uh, the appeal was quite um, a feat to, to get it done with. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, – otherwise I can't really explain it. I think because I hadn't written a novel before, I had no um, expectations as to how one was written. I retreated really it almost like a – a script that had to be a bit more complicated than normal scripts do because, well, we all know when we've seen the film of a favourite book, 
we can list the things that they didn't include. It's the opposite when you have a script and you write a novel. You have to have more. There has to be more body and more structure to it. Um, so, yeah, I, I simply fleshed out this idea I'd had for the screen. At what point did you realise it would be a murder mystery? Oh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I had a vague idea something had to happen, something big had to happen in this community to really set a bomb off in it to, you know, to keep the story going. And that was when I guess I had to, had to do it. But the, if you've read The Appeal, you'll know that the murder happens quite late. It? <laughs> yeah, it's shocking. It really is because because it, it's marketed as this murder mystery, and then, and then you're like halfway through, you think, no, right, yeah. who's going to die? So yeah, it's a mystery who who is going to die as as well as you know who did it. So uh, yeah, that ha- happens quite late. I think that's probably my lack of experience writing murder mysteries. Um, the fact I was enjoying these characters so much, and I hope the the readers enjoy them and they enjoy getting to know them before that murder happens. So they have, they're almost more informed as to who might have done it. Um, I hope anyway. I got to the end and I ran through an awful lot of uh, guilt, potential guilty parties in my head. So it wasn't in my mind um, in the beginning or even when the murder happened, who exactly it was. Um, I got to that eventually. That's amazing, isn't it? You've kind of set this crime up, yet you're playing the detective yourself. I think that might be key. I think I write in the way that I read. I discover as I go along. Now, uh, another thing that fascinated me is that uh, you mentioned about, well, because it's all set over emails, uh, we only see one facet of a character. We only see pretty much... They are their direct response to someone else. Yet you feel like you know much more about them. How how did you get to know your characters, although you were only ever involved with their dialogue? It's strange, isn't it? I suppose I, I did have that rounded um, view of them. I guess like any character, they all have an element of me in them somewhere. I think of the three main female characters in The Appeal. That's Izzy, um, Sam. And Sarah Jane, I think if you take those three characters and put them together, I think you've got something of me. And Sam, well, Izzy is who I fear I am. <laughs> I fear I might have been. <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you this. Let me tell you this quickly. So uh, I, I mentioned that I, 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 I like wolf this down in a day on holiday. Then I gave it to my fiance the next day. And after, I don't know, like an hour, she turned to me and went, oh, this Izzy is so annoying, isn't she? <laughs> Oh, poor Izzy. I do love her. Uh, she is a real ex- exaggerated version of me or exaggerated version of who I fear I might be. Um, Sam is who I would love to be. I mean, Sam is the um, the woman who has given up her life, really, to help others. Uh, and Sarah Jane is also someone that I can be. I can throw myself into um, things with great energy um, and great enthusiasm. Um perhaps to a fault. Uh, so I think if you mix them all together, you know, you, you get me. So I, I have definitely put a lot of myself into the, into those characters. I've also um, done amateur drama my whole life, and the appeal is set in a, an amateur drama society of people who know each other very well. They're like a family. And that's um, been my main hobby for the last 30 years, or 30 years anyway, between the age of 14 and about 44. Um, that was my hobby. So I know those groups and those those kind of dynamics. I know that very well. So uh, that also played into it. And I know that that's once I was in that world, the characters kind of emerged of their own volition. How much did you worry about, because as an audience and uh, readers, we're only seeing one side of these characters. How much did you worry about them kind of coming across as almost stock characters. So, you know, the the, the posh guy who runs the thing with the, with the hotel, the, uh, the the really forceful woman, the the really irritating young younger girl. I I try to avoid that by giving everybody um, good qualities as well as negative qualities. I think I don't, I don't like ever reading or, or seeing on the screen. A baddie who is a baddie through and through. I think everybody has um, light and dark in their personality, and that should be the case with characters too. So with 
all of my characters, they have great qualities. Uh, and some of them have bad qualities as well. And sometimes they exhibit really terrible behavior, but their motives are positive. Their motives are good or they're driven from a, a good place. So I like to have that nuance in all of the characters so people can at least identify with why someone behaves the way they do, even if they would never uh, behave that way themselves. They can see that character's life path has led them to do what they do. When you finish your first draft and you're going back and, and yeah, almost reverse engineering the story. Now, this is a crime novel, so you need certain beat points. You need like red herrings in it. How much thought did you give to when they were coming? I'll bring to mind there's a like without really without giving it away that it's it's like the names on emails like the addresses are quite important at a point how much did you think about <clears throat> like weaving those red herrings in there that maybe an audience might first time not notice a lot of that was done after the first draft was written uh, when i had that first draft i could then look at it and think where are the opportunities that i so far haven't put in but there's they could be there and I could make this more complex, more um, mask a few more things. So, yeah, I certainly looked at that later and worked in the little um, fiendish little bits that um, I, I love and I hope other people do too. You said that you met up with um, the assistant head of drama at Sky or someone quite important and they pushed you to go towards writing novels and you, you weren't really keen at the time uh you wanted to stay in tv now that you've had this success what are you thinking ab ab about the future and even writing the script for the appeal well i fell in love with writing novels while writing the appeal absolutely uh hook line and sinker to the point where i thought well why didn't i do this sooner i don't like thinking like that because i think it's very pointless negative way to think but I think why did I stay so long trying to write scripts when I wasn't getting anywhere with them and now I could have been you know enjoying myself writing novels so much um, but I, I try not as I said I try not to think of that I mean I've written the, the pilot for the appeal uh, I hope to be writing the pilot for the Twyford Code um, so yeah I, I haven't um, fallen out of love with script writing because it's wonderful and the wonderful thing about writing scripts is how collaborative that is because you're working with directors, you're working with producers, you're working with, you know, all sorts of people, eventually, hopefully actors um, who are all going to um, pick up this idea and bring their own creativity to it. So that's fabulous. And, it, you know, if you have an off day, uh, you can reach out and other people will stimulate you and help you get over that block. So that's you know script writing is wonderful novel writing wonderful too but you're on your own and if you you know if you're stuck on something you have to get yourself out of it and get yourself over it so and I love them I love them both they complement each other really well and I just wish there were more hours in the day that I could do everything it's interesting writing a pilot script for a novel that's yeah all through emails um uh, have you had to reimagine the way it looks yeah kind of i mean i think my script writing experience came in really handy and the fact i'd thought of some of this idea beforehand as a screen idea that was also quite useful um but no i mean we don't we don't read emails very much on screen we do nod to the um to the source material a, a little um but um no it is more of a visual narrative because you can't um but the twyford code as well actually both of the appeal and twyford are told with um big literary devices that simply don't themselves translate to the screen i mean the screen is a different language uh so there'll be other devices and other tricks of the trade and other things on the screen version that um aren't in the novel and vice versa and lastly as I have said, you know, having your debut have th this, it's not really slow burning success, but you know, this, this kind of sudden success really that you kind of expected. And now I know you have to carry on writing. What have you learned about the way that you write novels that might help you for book three, four and five? Well, you know, it doesn't feel like a sudden success to me because I've, I've been doing it so long. I mean, I've, I did work, 
I worked in publishing. I, I stopped working in publishing to um, you know, follow my dream in 2005. So that was um, quite a long time ago. In fact, I didn't get an agent till 2015, 2014, maybe 2015. So it's been quite a long slog. So for me, it doesn't feel like an overnight success, but I, I guess it does look look that way. Um, what was the second half of your question? Sorry, I, I do forget. No, what, what has writing, what have you learned so far from your what novel writing career? Yeah that, that, yeah, that will affect the way that you write future novels. I've. I guess learning, knowing that you've done it once is a great um, thing to to help you write the next one because I know I've done it, but I think, my goodness, how is it done? And I think, well, I'm starting now thinking about my fourth novel before each one I've thought, how on earth do you write a novel? Because I'm not sure, even though I've written ones before, you just don't know how it's done. Um, it's really weird. I've heard other um novelists say it so I know I'm not alone um, it's a mysterious art but knowing that you've done it before is a great help and I know I've done it before and if I sit down and write if I write every day I'll eventually have a novel I'll have a first draft and I'll have something I can work with it's getting something down every day to keep that momentum going so that's what I've learned to, to keep that momentum going to not panic and not not worry because those things are detrimental to the creative process i i certainly work best when i'm relaxed uh calm i'm not worried and that's when the ideas flow And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Janice Hallett for coming on the show. Uh, you can get a copy of The Appeal now. Going to any bookshop and it'll be there front and centre, I would imagine. Uh, the new one is The Twyford Code. It's just come out. And as you heard, she's got a third book in the making too. Now, next week, we're chatting to Colette Dartford about her upcoming novel, The Mortification of Grace Wheeler. Colette has had some success with her first two books. And she's chosen to go it alone for her third, to issue normal publishers and, and to self-publish. So we'll talk about why that happened next week on the show. In the meantime, you can support us, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow the show at writers pod on Twitter. And you can get in touch if you like, use the contact form at writersroutine.com. And I'll see you next week with Colette Dartford on the show. Until then, bye. <laughs>